Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. Elevate, how y'all doing tonight? Oh man, I am excited to be here. Are you guys excited to be here? No, 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 I'm not believing it. All right, let me find out. Ready? Uh, was, did anybody hear anything? All I heard was crickets. Well, at least the crickets know how to praise the Lord. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Elevate! Jesus! Elevate! Jesus! All, right, all together. This is for you, Jesus. Elevate! Jesus! That was beautiful. Thank you, Lord, for a chorus for your name in Jesus' name. Y'all can sit down. If you're new here tonight... Get to know at least one other person. Everybody here is amazing. We're part of a family, a community, and we love each other. Amen. Because Jesus is in this place, and he's in us, and he's reaching out to each other. And so uh, if you're new, we're glad you're here. Get to know somebody. Um, welcome. I'm not going to take up much time because I'm very excited about our speaker tonight. We are continuing our Big Girl Pants series where we're looking at women in the Bible that faced impossible situations and they had to put on their Big Girl Pants and trust the Lord. And they did incredible things. And we have heard about Deborah and JL. That was fun. And then last week, uh, Jamie Dishman. Uh, Who did she talk about? Ruth, that's right, that's right. And tonight, I'm not going to give it away, but I will introduce our speaker. Many of you know her as Picar. Pat Carlos, come on up. She's fantastic. She is senior girls leader. Also, she's one of the coordinators that make those weekends events happen all the time. And she's awesome. I'm going to turn the mic over because it's her time now. Love you, Pat. I may have to break out a rap because many of you don't know, like, you know, what PCAR really means and what that means to you and coming from camp. I'm just going to give you a, like a little taste of it and just let you know that I have been known to rap so great and so hard on camps and ski trips that people have literally fallen out of their beds. No lie. That's a true story. Not even lying. I'm not sure if it was because it was so good or because it was like... Um, Maybe waking her up at like 5.30 in the morning. But, um, you know, I don't know. But she did fall out of her bed, and it was amazing. I had a grill, and just all, you know, I'm going to have to do the works. Do the works for you guys. Yeah, like, this also like a real grill. And I have like a, I, I, I did, I do have to say, I have lost the big like gold money sign chain that I used to have with it. I'm going to have to find something. If somebody knows where I can get hooked up with one of those again, let me know, because I could break it out. It was, it was pretty awesome, I must say. It, it was really great. All right, so we are going to study tonight. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at this picture. And um, most of you know my two girls. That's um, Madeline on this side. That's your, like, left. Sorry about that. Had a little moment. And that's Hannah on the right. So that's my girls, and they are obviously sisters. And um, because they are sisters, I mean, I, I know that all family members always look alike. But I would say, do you think that they look alike? Yeah, they, yeah, so a lot of people say that we all three look alike, but definitely they really do look alike. And it's so bad that, like, at one time 
they both worked at a fast food place in Homa. And so people would go into one and then they would go to the other one. They would say, wait, you work here too? And they would be like, no, 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 that's my sister. Or really, what's really bad is a lot of times um, at church, even now, people will come up to one of them and they'll start holding a conversation. But like they'll go to Madeline and they'll start when Hannah was um, working for the saints, they would talk to her about the saints or the pelicans. And she's like, now they just are used to it and they just like answer. Like they just keep going with it. And now they, you know, they know each other's life enough, but it's really because they do look a lot alike. And so they get it. It's very common. So they get it all the time. So they just kind of roll with it now. But I'm going to talk to you today about two sisters who did not quite look, um, this much alike. And so one of them, I'm going to kind of quote the Bible on this. One of them, it says, as the Bible describes her, um, is described as being lovely in form or shape and beautiful. And every commentary that I read everywhere, it, it always distinctly noted how beautiful she was. So basically we're talking about a girl who had it going on, right? Like she was really fine, not just like her looks, but even her body had it going on, like everything. And then we're going to talk about her sister. And this is the way her sister is described as having tender eyes. Now, I'm not really sure what, it's okay, it's laugh worthy, because what does that even mean? Like, what does that mean that you have tender eyes? And there's actually a couple of different um, suggestions on what it might mean, but I'm thinking in today's world, it probably means that um, she was hard on the eyes, or that she ain't got no alibi. Y'all know what I mean by that? What's that? Yeah, like U-G-L-Y. Like that's basically, I know that's harsh, but it really is kind of the way that it describes the life of Rachel and Leah. And that's really not the most common um, person that you would pick out because we're going to talk about Leah tonight. So um, one of the things that I need to tell you is that her family is very similar to mine. They're just really messed up. Okay, so there's like a lot of stuff going on in this person's family, okay? So Rachel and Leah are sisters, and there's a lot, a lot in there. Very packed into this family situation, crazy like mine, like all kind of crazy stuff. Right, right. let's clarify, not Mr. Miko's family, it is purely the LaPerouse family, like 100% the LaPerouse family, they are messed up people, and it's very, he's got crazy stuff like this. So I have to give you just a teeny tiny bit of backstory so that you understand where we're going to pick up when we start reading. We're going to read in Genesis, by the way, if you have your Bibles, good paper ones are awesome to carry with you all the time, but use your little digital one if you need. But that's where we're going to be, so you can go there. So the backstory is that um, Jacob and Esau were brothers. And Esau was the older brother. Jacob is the younger brother. Bless you. And their dad is Isaac. Now, Isaac, if you have picked out his name from the Bible, if you remember anything about him, Isaac is Abraham's son, all this genealogy. And Abraham was the father of many nations, and he had to truck up the mountain, and he was asked to um, use his son as a sacrifice. But um, then God provided the ram, and so that didn't happen. So that's who we're talking about here, okay? So Isaac then marries someone named Rebekah, and they have Jacob and and Esau. And so Esau is the older son and Jacob is the younger son. Isaac gets really old, really old, really old. He's nearing the end of his life. And before he dies, he has to do something. He needs to give a blessing and a birthright to the oldest son, because that's what tradition is in this time. 
So what would he do? He would call his oldest son in. Which one's the older son? Esau. So he's going to call the older son in to give him the blessing and the birthright. But his wife, Rebecca, she decides to come up with a different plan. And Rebecca's plan is that um, she's going to deceive Isaac because he is old and he doesn't see really well. And so that's what happens. Um, he is going to call in. Um, he wants to call in Esau, but Rebecca knows all this. And so they kind of send Esau out. And so Re- Rebecca gets um, Jacob to come in. And Isaac gives Jacob the blessing and the birthright. And like, that's a really, really big deal. And that's like a whole nother sermon, but that's kind of where we are right now. So if you're Esau, how would you feel about this? Cheated, right? And you'd be really ticked, right? Let's just call it for what it is. You would be really, really ticked at this point, right? And so that's where we're going to pick up this story. So um, if you turn to Genesis 29... I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll stop and kind of unpack it. So it says, then Jacob continued on his journey. And why is he he on a journey? He's running away from Esau because Esau's ticked, and he wants to, like, kill him because he just stole his birthright and his blessing. And that's, like, a really, really big deal that we can't even understand in in today's age. So then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field. Um, with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds, got to get it in the light, sorry, but my Bible falls apart, so I got to make sure I don't drop it. Uh, It totally falls apart, but I can't get rid of it. So when all the flocks were gathered there, um, the shepherds would roll away the Um, the big stone from the well's mouth, and they would water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, um, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him. They answered like, they're so excited, like they know each other. Wow, this is really cool. Then Jacob asked, is he well? Now, Rebecca sent Jacob to Laban. Uh, Laban is her brother, by the way. So this is like her, his uncle. Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Now, remember, Rachel is the one that is got it going on. Rachel is the good-looking one. So look, he said, the sun is still high. It's, it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Um, water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. Why do you think he's telling them to go water the sheep, even though it's not really time? Because he wants some time with this beautiful woman walking up. Like he sees her and he's like, what? She is gorgeous because everybody thought Rachel was gorgeous. And so he's like freaking out. Like he wants some time with this chick. So he's trying to send them away. But they're like, this is not the time that your sheep get watered. And so they're like being practical about this. Like we don't know what you're talking about. So... Um, so then, okay, so I think I'm on eight. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. So now he's, even though it really wasn't time, he rolled the stone away and watered her sheep you know, like, Hey, look what I'm doing for you. (laughs) I'm a great guy. And so like, he's trying to get in good with her. So he had, uh, wait, I lost my place. 
Okay. Then Jacob kissed Rachel pretty aggressive for the first time that they meet is what I'm saying. Like, this is supposed to be olden days. Like, you don't do that. But he, he goes for it. He, he just goes for it. Then Jacob kisses Rachel and begins to weep aloud. So like, that's how beautiful this woman is. Like he is weeping because she's so beautiful. Like this, she's a knockout. Like I wish I was her. So then, um, I'm not really just joking. She, I don't. <laughs> so, Cause what would you do with all those men? <laughs> just joking. Um, <laughs> so then he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebecca. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And, um, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and my own blood. Okay, one more little piece. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, so now he's left, he's running, he meets Rachel, he goes live at his uncle's house for a whole month. Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? So he's like, dude, you keep working. I need to give you something. I need to give you some money. Tell me what your wages should be. So Laban's like, all right, I got a deal coming for you, buddy. So he says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, tender eyes, and Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your daughter, Rachel. Now, which one's older? Leah's older, Rachel's younger. So now he is telling this dude, I will work for you for seven years. And this isn't like working at Chick-fil-A. This, you don't have Sundays off. This is working in fields. This is like doing work for seven years. He will work for the hand of Rachel in marriage. Like, this is like a real, like this guy's definitely like, he's got, he's got the, you know, he wants her. So. Basically, that's just what it boils down to. Now, remember that I told you at one point that um, Jacob and his mom, Rebecca, had deceived his dad, right? All right, so let's see what picks up after this. Um, so then it says, Laban said, it's better that I give, give her to you than to some other man. <laughs> Did you hear that? No, he said that. Let me read that again for you. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Like, I don't know. The dad's kind of strange to me. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, for they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh, come on. Seven years seems like a few days. Are you kidding me? There's no way. But it says it, so that means it's true. And then Jacob comes, like, you know, he's ready. He's been working for seven years. So then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete and I want to lie with her. And that's not the sofa. That's like the biblical form of lie. So get like seven years. He's been working for this. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. Now, like, you know, Laban is like, I mean, uh, Jacob has got to be excited. This has finally come to, you know, like it's come, it's happened, it's ready. And so Laban brings everybody together and they're all going to have this giant feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. Are you joking me? 
the one with tender eyes? That's not who he was trying to get. That's the one he was probably overlooking all these years. And Jacob laid with her. And Laban gave his servant girl, Zilpah, to the daughter as her maidservant. So hang on. Like, you realize what's happening here. He's worked seven years to get Rachel. And who does he get? Leah. And so there's a couple of weird things. Like, we might think now in today's world, how would you not know that? Right? But in that day and age, it was, it was common for them to be heavily veiled. And so that was probably the case from everything that I've read before on it was that she probably was really heavily veiled and she was covered. And so you couldn't really see her. Um, and so he, he didn't know who he was marrying. Um, and so a couple of things is, um, think of, think of Leah at this point. Does she know what's going on? Yeah. And so, like, think, think of her confusion. Think of what she must be feeling right now because this is her sister and all of their life. They've grown up together and she knows that she is being part of this deceptive plan being given to the man that loves her sister. So let's see, keep going and see what happens. When morning came, there was Leah with an exclamation point, by the way, with an exclamation point. My favorite part of this with an exclamation point. Let's point that out. All right. So when morning came, there was Leah exclamation point. So Jacob said to Laban, what is it that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel. Didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And remember he was a deceiver just not that long ago. Right. And so now it's one of those things where we do have consequences that come back to us for our sin. And so he was the deceiver and now it's coming back. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out was, um, at this point he has to realize, man, now what am I going to do? And I want to point out that if he was, um, a man after God's heart at this point, which he definitely becomes a man after God's heart fully. But if he were to have been a man after God's heart at this point, he would have kept his commitment and his honor to the wife that he was given. And so I want to kind of make that clear that sometimes, um, for us to, to do what's right, sometimes we're going to be called to do things that may not be in the plan that we have. Hopefully not to this degree, but it might happen. All right. So Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older daughter, although that's not clearly established whether that is the custom there or not. Um, finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Number one, he should have said no because it's already been clearly established that it is one man and one woman that was joined together. But um, at this point, Jacob agrees to do it. So now he's worked for seven, got Leah's, got to work for another seven, and he will get Rachel. Okay, so that's 14 years that he is going to work for this one chick, this hot chick, actually. Not just a chick, hot chick, exclamation point. Um, and Jacob did so he finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel to be his wife. So he actually, he like, he didn't have to work the seven and then do it. He got, he got to have Rachel as a wife as well and then work the next seven. Um, Laban gave his servant 
girl, uh, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as a maidservant. Jacob played with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years, exclamation point, 14 years. Are you kidding me? So that's our background on Jacob. Okay. So now let's jump to Leah, the one that we're here to learn about. Um, one of the things that we have, we definitely can clearly, um, think about Rachel. I mean, Aaliyah is that all of her life, she was compared to who Rachel think about it. I want you to think about it in the context that you live in today. And you should probably be able to agree with me that all of her entire life, she's probably always lived under the shadow of her sister. She's probably always been compared to her. And even if she wasn't always compared to her, even if that wasn't the case, she probably always had to sit back and listen to other people do what? Say how beautiful and wonderful Rachel was, right? There's no way she didn't constantly hear that because the Bible brings that out to us. So now she's lived this life of comparison, And one thing I know about a room this size is that if she lived that life of comparison, I know that there's a bunch of you in here who have had to live a life of comparison as well. And a life of comparison is something that brings on rejection. It brings on feelings of anger sometimes. It brings on angers, um, feelings that are like hurtful and you feel unloved or unwarranted or devalued. But really, probably almost everybody in here can relate to that. Because at some point in our lives, sometimes we're being compared to other people. Sometimes it is siblings. Sometimes it's to our parents. Sometimes it's to your best friend. A lot of times we're compared to people, even though it's someone that we love, just like Leah and Rachel. And so I know that that once you hear it and once you think about it, sometimes it opens up those wounds and they start to bleed a little bit. The next thing I point that it points out to us is that Jacob only loves who Rachel. That's it. It is clear that he does not have any feelings for Leah. And then look at what the dad did. Look at what Laban did. Really? You're going to give him, give her away as, as a, as a plan of deception. What did that leave Leah to think? Is that really how much you think of me? Like that had to go through her head. And so I think about us in this room, how many times have we thought of that? How many times have we had experiences where those people who are closest to us, this is her dad and her sister, and they're devaluing her so much that what must she be left to think of herself? And like there are times that that happens to us. Sometimes it is our parents. Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. It could be teachers, coaches, leaders. But I know that in here, there are times where we're left to think really That's what you think of me, that little. And so that works on us. It brings us down. It puts this weight of heaviness on us that a lot of times, quite honestly, we cannot come up from because it buries us. 
And then we already know feelings, they start to become what we think. And so we're going to kind of see that in the life of Leah in a minute. And then the last one that I thought of about what everything that we've read so far, so far is that think about her life now. So she gets married. Then her sister marries the same man and sister wives. That's sure not going to work out. Right. Come on. That's already, you know, been there, done that. And so now if you think about it now, she has to share her husband with a lady and he doesn't love her. So what her life must have been, because how many years is he working for this situation? 14, when he thought it was going to be seven. Do you think he treated her well? Probably not. Probably not. I'm sure he didn't. And so now we would kind of be left to assume, but I think it's a good assumption, is that she's probably treated horribly all the time. And so like right now, if you're thinking about Leah and you're thinking about her life, can't be anything good or positive, right? She led a life of difficulty all of the days of her life. She led a really, really difficult life. And I also know that in a room this size, some of you lead a difficult life. And sometimes you lead lives that you shouldn't have to lead at this age. But sometimes you do. Sometimes you're called to that. And that's what it is. We live in a fallen world. And because of that, we have to deal with fallen situations inside of our lives. Now, this one kind of was made a little bit. But so many times for us, the the difficult lives that we lead, especially as a young person, as a teenager, as a kid, it's because of the people around you. It's because of the doings of your family. But we're still called to walk in that difficult life. And so we're going to learn from Leah some lessons on how to lead those difficult lives. So um, what are some feelings you think Leah probably had? Unloved? Anger? Confused? Lonely? Shame? resentment. There's so many, like we could keep going on and on and on. And I put a few up here and I want us to think about, do we have these same feelings in the difficult lives that you're called to walk out in the times that you've had to live that life of comparison and that time where you've had people that you really loved that did not think enough of you like rejection, abandonment, being unloved. Have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever felt ashamed, misused? broken. There's so many feelings wrapped up in this. There's so many. And I want you to think about those and think about times in your life because we're going to kind of learn how she handles it and and what, how we can handle it. There's a quote that I found from Naomi, um, Zacharias, and she's an amazing, amazing woman. Her and her husband are amazing. If you ever want to hear a good sermon, um, his name is Ravi, Um, Zacharias, look him up on YouTube. He's awesome. But look at this quote. We're going to come back to this a couple of times. It says the value and the beauty of every story is not always found in the ending, but sometimes in the very fight itself. That is very powerful. And we're going to like really need to piece this out. So the value which holds worth and the beauty of something is not always found in the ending, but it is found 
in the fight itself. And you see, this is counterintuitive to what our society tells us. Because I want you to think about TV, books, movies. How many times do you really ever read a book, watch a TV show, or see a movie that ends where it is not either happy or, you know, everybody ends up being, the whole problem ends up being rectified? How many times does that happen? Hardly ever, right? I mean, really, hardly ever. Um, So, like, we have the characters, we get introduced to them, there's conflict, a big conflict, and then it gets what? Rectified, solved, and everybody lives happily ever after, right? And because, I mean, think about it, the movies, if it didn't end that way, would we really keep going back if we left depressed every time? No. They have to make us feel good, right? And so, like, I can honestly only think of, like, two movies I think that I've seen that have like not ended in a really good way. But this quote is trying to teach us and it's trying to tell us that that's not reality. That's not life. Life is not always going to end for us in a great way. Now, if we're saved, it the final end is heaven. And so it does, but I'm talking about like our life situations. There are times where we're going to walk through difficult situations and they're not going to get rectified. There are times where you're going to walk through difficult situations and different challenges in your life, but there is no happy ending. And that kind of is the story of Leah. Her story doesn't end in a really great way. Um, So now we're going to jump forward back to our story, and we're going to look at um, the very ending. Genesis 31. When When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, who saw? And he saw what? She was not loved. Wouldn't you say that she lives a really difficult life? And she probably, I know some of you said alone. Some some of you said that she felt lonely, that she probably felt abandoned, that she probably felt forgotten, hurt, broken, ashamed. But the word tells us in that state, when the Lord saw that Leah was loved, God saw her hurts. He saw her pains. He saw her troubles. He saw. And that's going to be one of our points tonight. He saw that Leah was loved. And he saw, I'm sorry, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant. Now you have to listen to the the names of the sons because it's extremely important. And gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Because at that point in history, everybody needed to give their husband a firstborn son. And she did it. But who was she looking to? Was she looking to God or was she looking to her husband for value? She's looking to her husband, right? A ratty one at that. Okay, so next verse. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now this, listen to how it changes a little bit. The first time she said, maybe he'll like me. Okay. But this time she says, so, uh, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. So do you hear the shift in her thinking? So the first one, she was only trying to get value from the husband. But the second time she conceived, she realized, wait, I'm not in this alone. I'm not. And she had these babies back to back to back, by the way, like every year. So now in a year's time, she realized I am not alone in this. And she realizes that God has seen that she is not loved. 
third time around, again she conceives, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. And so so his name was Levi. But then she does what? She must forget. And don't we kind of do that same exact thing? Aren't there times in our lives, especially if like sometimes we go through like a difficult thing and we remember that we're supposed to put our hope and our trust in God, but then sometimes we go through a difficult thing that lasts a little bit longer and what do we do? We kind of forget. And then we look to it someplace else. And then the last one is, is the one that's the most important. She conceived again. Look, she's even beaten um, Jackie and Dom. She, <laughs> she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. So now forget the husband. And what is she doing? She is praising God. She's praising the God who's helping her and delivering her through this difficult life that she has. Now she remembered, this time I will praise the Lord. She doesn't even have to remind herself that God saw her when she was unloved and hurting. She's got that down now. Because now she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And she names him Judah. Okay, and that's going to be really important. So we're going to go back to that in just a second. Point one that we're going to get from this is that obviously the Lord saw Leah, right? And so point one is you are never, ever alone. Guys, God loves you. He adores you. He gave his only son to die for you. He sees every hurt that you go through. He feels those hurts. There's no one that feels them more than God, your creator. You need to know that. You're never, ever alone. I know that there are times that we feel it, and I know that times in your lives you are going through rough stuff. But you have got to remember, it is not a product of God, your creator. It is a product of a fallen world. That is why we go through trials. That's why we go through tribulations. That is why we have good people that die young. It is because and only because of our fallen world. During those times, God is the one that holds us. He keeps us near to him. He holds you so tight and he constantly is ready and willing to give you peace and to give you comfort. That's what he does. He's like great at it, but we have to be able to, to want it enough to receive it. We have to be able to receive it. We can't just shut them out. That's the, the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job. God gave us the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, the Holy Spirit is given to you as a present, as a gift. It's a gift to keep you comforted, to keep you at peace. That's his job. He loves to do it, and he'll do it 24-7. Even if you have a life of difficulty like Leah, it never runs out. It's always there for us to run and to hold on to. And so you have to remember, through every difficulty, you are never alone. The Lord sees you just as he saw Leah. 
Um, Psalms 34, 17 through 19 says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And where it says the righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. I want you to make sure you understand and that you don't get confused with that last piece of that verse. That does not mean that everything in your life is going to be peachy keen. It does not mean that he's going to deliver you from every problem, from every trial, from every difficulty, from every illness. That's not what it means. He delivers us through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us peace, through giving us comfort, through being the rock that we run to for shelter, for wisdom, for guidance, for care. That's what that deliverance is. And that's what Leah found. Leah knew. Leah finally figured out. Now, she forgot it a couple of times and had some little weak moments, but I think that that's just human. I think we all do. And so what happened was Leah realized, and it was indicated by the fourth child. It was indicated that now she, she's got it. God sees me and I'm praising him. She's, you realize what she's, she's, she's praising him and her life really sucks. But what it says that she's doing in the word, it says, I will praise him. And so that's where it comes from. It comes from out of that knowledge that God delivers us through peace, through that safety and that security that he's the only one who can ever give us, especially in a difficulty or a trial. The second point is that your value and your worth only come from God. And we saw it in there. We saw that, yeah, she married this guy. And of course, that competition is still going on between Leah and from Rachel, right? That they're still competing. They actually compete to see how many kids they can give them. And so they're competing. And while they're competing, she realizes that God is the only one who can give her value. There is nobody else that can give her value because in the beginning when she was having kids, who was she looking to, to see like, Ooh, I just popped out this baby. Is he looking? Is he watching? Should he, is he happy? Because I just gave him a firstborn son. And then, right. That's kind of what it's like basically, because it said that Rachel was what she was barren. That means she couldn't have kids. And so she's like, Ooh, I got the upper hand. But by the fourth time around, she realizes I'm not worried about him. Because it's God and God alone that gives her her value and her worth. And you see, you have to realize and recognize the same exact thing. Because what happens is the world constantly puts value on us. Whether we want to realize it or not, it happens. The world is always giving you value. It's either value that is like highly praised value or it's devaluing value right? It's one or the other, but neither should come from man. You do realize that neither should come from man ever, because if you're getting that praise and that you're letting that go to your head, you're just going to become what? If people are highly valuing you and you don't watch it, we're going to get prideful, right? So prideful. And so um, Isaiah two twelve says the Lord almighty has a day in store for all the proud and all the lofty for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. 
So whether we, when we get, and when we take on that value, sometimes it's, and I'm not saying you, you know, you shouldn't feel good ever. I'm just saying that there's a balance and that balance is knowing that even when people are constantly praising you, you have to be careful with that because your value only comes from God, your creator. He is the one that gives you worth. He loves, he adores you. If you go through the scriptures and you do not know that, please go Google on your little devices that we constantly have in our hand and just type in scriptures that tell me I am loved by God and go write them down and plaster them everywhere in your life. And you're going to realize how much God adores you. I pulled out just a couple. Um, is that where I have them? Yes. First um, John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Exclamation point. You are a child of God, and he lavishes his love on you. That's not just like, hey, like here, I got some love for you. Lavish is like an abundance. It's exceeding. So he lavishes his love on you. And so you have to always know out of that love is where you are valued, esteemed, and where you find your worth. Corinthians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Think of like a Mona Lisa kind of picture or something that Picasso would have painted. And like, um, you know, like people go, go from all around the world to see a painting, Right? But you have to realize that that's what you are to God. That really is what you are to God. Like that's the way he sees you. Or the most beautiful place you've ever been to on the face of the earth. Like um, our, um, one of the people from our school just went to Yosemite. And like it's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. Like it was unbelievable. It was, it was literally breathtaking when I looked at this picture that they showed me. But like that doesn't even compare to what God sees and how he thinks of you doesn't even compare because he loves you so much. And that's how deep his value is for you. Um, one of the things I thought of show the graphic of Superman. I don't want to leave. I don't want to miss this. All right. So we got Superman here, right? And when he's Clark Kent, what can he do? Like, what can he do? Is that true? I don't think that's true. Is that true? That is not what I thought. Well, this demonstration just went down the tube. I thought as Clark Kent, he could do nothing. That not true? What? Yeah, but if he's dressed like that, he still does big stuff. All right. Well, whatever. Can we just pretend that he can't? I thought he was like this wimpy little guy who could do like nothing but like write a news article. I thought, I don't know. I don't watch superhero stuff. Whatever. Okay. So that's what we're going to pretend in my example is that he can't do anything but write a news story. But when he like, look at that, like, look, even his appearance changes when he rips off the jacket and he throws the glasses down. I was like, he's Superman. Like he could do wondrous things now. I didn't know he could do it all the time. I guess I should have checked that out. But, but what I thought of was that's like us when we in my world, when we, um, put on the world's value, 
we can't do anything. We can't do anything of wonder. But when we put on God's value and we put on his worth and his esteem, we really honestly can do wondrous things. So remember to keep the wondrous little world of Superman <laughs> in that world, not in the little wimpy Clark Kent that I thought he was, that apparently he's not. Um, like, I, actually, I saw the real one, like the real Superman, like in the 70s when it was cool. Saw that then, but not now. All right, point three. Let's move on. All right. And my last one is this, that hope comes from ashes. Hope comes from ashes. And so this point is the biggest point to me. And the reason it's the biggest point is because you need to have an ear and a heart of wisdom tonight. If you can grab a hold of this one principle that hope honestly comes from ashes your whole entire life will be happy every time you have to walk through something that's very difficult or a trial. But this one point takes maturity. It takes Christian maturity. And it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. This is one of those things that you need to tuck away deep in your heart And so that the next time you go through something that's really life-altering, that's a challenge, that's difficult, you need to go back to this point and what's being said with it. Hope comes from ashes. Um, Don't forget that God saw Leah's life, her hurts, her pains on the earth. He loved her just as he does us, right? But go back and look at the last one one more time. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise him. I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And so from Judah, from all of this life of misery, was it ever resolved for her? It was not ever, never, never resolved through this whole life of misery. It never got resolved. But through Judah, the one and the time where she learned to praise the Lord, through Judah came King David. And through the lineage of King David came Jesus. So through this whole, it just gives me chills. Like through all of this, she endured. And at the very end, the hope for the world was presented. Like that's heavy. That's heavy. The hope for the world came through Leah, not through the little hot chicky chick that was her sister. It came through Leah. Um, and one of the things I thought of was, I wrote it down because I didn't want to say it wrong. Um, out of Leah's ashes, the ashes of her life, only because she trusted that even unresolved things are still in God's hands did the hope of our world come. So you have to realize that all those things, all those difficult things, those difficult trials that, that stay, that don't get resolved, we have to leave them in God's hands. We have to have hope that through it, Through the ashes, and the ashes represent the trials that we go through, the difficulties, the hard things that we go through. Through that, there is a hope. 
And that hope is always that God is always going to be there for you. He's always going to love you. He's always going to give you worth. He's always going to give you value. But even with all of that, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you in that trial. Because remember, he always delivers the righteous. He always takes care of his people. He always, bless you, has, his ba- has your back. He's coming to deliver the peace. He's coming to deliver strength during that trial. He's coming to deliver the place where you hide, where you run. That's what he's doing. That's your hope. And then obviously our hope is definitely Jesus Christ, right? Just like it was the end of the story of Leah. Um, I have a verse for you. It is Romans 5, 1 through 4. Oh, I went out of order, huh, Eli? You can go back to the quote because now that quote's going to make more sense to him. Remember the quote, the value and the, and the beauty of every story is not always found in the ending, but sometimes in the very fight itself. And that's going to make sense with this verse. It's Romans 5, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast, this is what we're boasting in, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Put on the brakes. We glory in sufferings? Are you kidding me? Who glories in sufferings? Who glories in death? Who glories in sickness? Who glories in divorce? Who glories in drug overdose? Who glories in sufferings? We do. We do. And it doesn't mean that you're happy and it doesn't mean that you're excited. It means that we are boasting in the hope of the glory of God. We're boasting and we know we have this confidence that even in our sufferings, he is with us. And he, his word says over and over and over again in the old Testament that he is delivering peace in those sufferings. That's what we can boast in. That's what we can glory in. And before I ever went through a really difficult life challenge as a Christian, I don't know that I could have told you that. But once I went through one and I understood and I was able to feel the peace of God, the very peace of God to keep me together when my world was falling apart, that's when you know that you can boast in the sufferings that you go through. It really is. Because he holds you and he gives you peace and he gives you comfort and he holds your hand as you walk through it. And when the world looks at you and says and doesn't understand why you're not falling apart, you know why. You know why. It's that deliverance that he promised you. It says, not only so, but we also glory in sufferings because we know that suffering, and this is where that maturity comes in, this is what you need to tuck away in your heart. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, which means you got to keep going, Perseverance is going to produce character because when you go through a difficult time in your life and you go through a trial and you can persevere, 
you're developing a godly character, a Christ-like character, because obviously he endured the most at the cross. And then it says that character, what does it produce? Hope. It produces hope. And that hope, this is one you won't understand until you go through it. The hope is that through everything you went through on the other side, when some healing has taken place and some restoration of God has taken place, the hope is that God is going to use that very difficult trial, that suffering, that torment that you went through. He's going to use that to glorify And he's going to use that for you to take it on and to now own it and to share it with somebody else who's walking the same path. And so now the healing and the restoration that he brought to you and the peace that he brought to you, the most beautiful part of it is the hope when you get to do it to someone else. You get to be that person that can hold their hand through it. You get to be that person that they can rely on, that they can lean on. Because nobody else knows what they're going through, but you do. Because you went through it, and you walked it, and you lived it. That's what that scripture means that says, He works all things for the good of those who love Him. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out fine, right? We already know it doesn't. Some things are going to stay unresolved. Some things are going to get taken care of. But whether they do or whether they don't, we're going to leave that hope resting in his hands. Because we know he's delivering us. And when that deliverance is done, we have that hope that we're going to be able to help someone else go through the exact same thing that we went through. And sometimes it's the hardest parts of your life. But I promise every time you help somebody else, there's like another wave of healing that goes over you every single time. Every single time I talk to a mom that's lost a baby, a little bit of healing comes back and it's more and more. Like every single time there's another layer of, of healing. And so that same thing is going to happen to each and every one of you. And that's you delivering the very, very character of Jesus Christ. One of the things I wrote down is this. It's the big takeaway. I want you to remember that in the most difficult times of your life, just as Leah had to put on those big girl pants, you guys are going to have to do the same thing. And that's the maturity. Putting on the big girl pants, putting on the big boy pants, and saying, I am not going to fall apart. When I lost my baby, I sat in a parking lot by myself and cried my guts out for a good probably 45, 50 minutes. And then I told myself, I am not going to let this kill me. And I am not going to let it ruin me. I am going to make sure that no matter what, it glorifies Jesus Christ. And that was the hardest decision I ever made. That was putting on the big girl pants. And so you are going to have to do the same. And so I want you to take this thought away. When those times come in your life, you're going to do one of two things, no matter what. And think about every person that you've seen walk through something very, very difficult or tragic. One of two things has happened. Either A, 
You're going to run to God. You're going to pray. You're going to stay in his presence. You're going to seek him to guide you. You're going to let him be the one that you run to so that people see Jesus in your difficult situation. Right? Like that's what we want. That's what, that's what our goal to do is. Be Aaliyah at that point. Go through this trial. Go through this difficulty and run to him and seek him so that at the end of it and all along the way and every little side way that you have to turn during it, people look and say, how are you doing this? And you can clearly say it is only by the grace of God. It is by Jesus Christ holding me and walking me through this that I am able to do this. And there he gets the glory. He becomes the hope of them now. Because what happens is they see that he's your hope. And so when they start to walk through something like that, guess what happens? They know where to find hope. They know exactly where to run to it. And so we're either going to respond that way or we're going to respond the other way. You're going to crumble under the weight of the situation. And people are going to wonder, where is Jesus in your circumstance? It's going to be one or the other. And so take that with you and think about it. You're either going to show Jesus in that difficult situation, or they're going to look to you and say, where is your Jesus in this difficult situation? Remember that your whole life. We do not rejoice. We don't find these things happy and wonderful but we do rejoice and boast and have glory in our hope that he gives us, that we are going to make it out because he is going to help us make it out. And then that hope becomes the hope of the next person. Um, So every time you hear the story of Rachel and Leah, every single time, I want you to remember those three things. You're never alone. He sees you in your deepest hurts. He holds you. He never forgets you. The second one is that your value only comes from God. We never want our value to come from anyone on this earth. It's great that people love us and that they think highly of us. That's respect. But our value and our worth comes from God, our creator. And then the last one is there is always hope that can come out of ashes. No matter where those ashes came from or how hard they were to get through, there's always hope that comes out of ashes. Um, Is Dom still in here? Do you want us to? uh, It's kind of late because I have a story that I could tell them if not. When I knew I was late, I just went with it. I tried so hard. Okay, I really tried to have you groups, but I killed it. It didn't happen. Um, I'm going to tell you this story about a lady since now, like, it's like that weird in-between time. Um, her name is Phyllis Bush. Anybody in here know Miss Phyllis? A couple of people, huh? So Miss Phyllis Bush, um, she is like the most amazing woman ever on the face of the earth. Um, and so uh, Mr. Miko went to school with Miss Phyllis's, was that the youngest, Miko? Yeah? The youngest daughter. Four kids, right? So they have four kids. And um, the youngest is a daughter. Oh, sorry. Youngest daughter. And so one night, um, they are either in high school or right after one of the two. And 
Uh, I think so, too. I think it was um, his freshman year. They are riding in a vehicle, um, her, somebody else, and two foreign exchange sh- exchange students. And they, the person driving decides to try to beat a train. And so the train hits their vehicle, and they're all killed. So this woman has lost her youngest daughter to a, an, to a very tragic accident. But all the way through it, her and her husband glorify God, and they stay like rocks. Fast forward a couple of years, um, we get married. Um, I am pregnant for our first child, and Miss Phyllis's other daughter is also um, pregnant at the same time as me, but she has another daughter that's 10. So this is Phyllis's granddaughter that's, um, that's 10, and... Um, they go to sleep one night, and the little girl just wasn't feeling that well, and she got really sick in the middle of the night, and she died. Um, and so now there's a mom, right, because there's the, the, the mom of that little girl who's pregnant and has just lost her firstborn child suddenly without you know, any kind of indicator that that's going to happen. Um, I was on bed rest at the time, so I, I couldn't go to anything. I had to stay in bed. Um, but all of our friends that we were close to, um, they just, so the mom and I would talk on the phone after, but they just, they came back. I, I vividly remember the day of the funeral, and three of them came over to my house, and, and they could not believe how difficult the situation was. But through the whole entire thing, they glorified God. Miss Phyllis, Mr. Charlie, Stephanie, the mom, they glorified God through it all. And every day after, they glorified God. Every day after. Um, fast forward a little bit later. This is a lot of tragedy for one family to take. Um, years go by, and we're pregnant again at the same time. And we both have sons. Our sons are almost exact same age, and they're growing up together. And our sons are totally fine. And then all of a sudden, um, her son, um, things aren't going right. So it's just kind of weird. I get this um, phone call. Hey, I need you to pray. We're going to the doctor. Something's not right with them. And so um, after about a month, they come back and tell us that um, he's severely autistic now. And I'm talking severely autistic Um, And so this is the same family. And all the way through it, you already know I'm going to say, rock solid, praising God, knowing that things may not be resolved, but they will glorify Jesus through all of it. Later, time goes by, and the mom of the the one that the kids that I was pregnant with, uh, she's a little bit older than me. Um, We get a phone call. Um, asking us to pray because she's gone into the hospital. Um, And so at that time, they just thought, you know, no big deal. She's going to get better and come out the hospital. She's got three kids. And um, she ends up dying. She stays in the hospital for quite a while. She contracted uh, um, an infection in her heart, and she dies. She's got three kids. She's got this mom, this dad, siblings, and now she dies. So, like, this family has been through unsurmountable tragedy in their life. And everyone 
they praise Jesus through everything, through every trial, through every tragedy. It is literally the most beautiful expression of hope from ashes that you could ever imagine. Fast forward again. And like, if that's not enough, um, maybe two years ago, we were on vacation and we got a phone call right before it was time to come home. Please pray for the bushes again. And um, this weird kind of crazy accident happens and Mr. Bush, Phyllis's husband, falls and he hits his head and he, they don't think he's going to make it. And sure enough, he dies. And so, like, it's just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that befalls this family. It's almost like, like I mean, you're probably thinking the same thing a million of us have asked. Why? Like, these people, when I tell you God-fearing family, they are probably the most God-fearing family you could ever meet. And they're positive. You would think after all of this tragedy that they would hang their head low, that they would be negative, that they would, you know, just not be life givers. But no matter who you talk to them of them, they always, you always left in courage. You never, ever would leave one of their family members and felt down, low, bad about yourself. You always left lifted up. Like they were amazing people. And so in our human mind, what do we tend to think? God, why? Right? But we know why, because we live in what? A fallen world. We live in a fallen world. But you see, they knew they knew that hope comes from ashes. And so um, this past weekend, uh, the ones that were, we were pregnant together with, my daughter Hannah and um, Stephanie's daughter um, were together. And so they got to spend the weekend together. And one of the things I asked Hannah was, how is she doing? Because at the time that she was going to get married, um, right before that, her mom passed away. So her mom never got to make it to her wedding day. And then um, right before the grandpa passed away. And so like, that's a big stuff for a young person, a 22 year old to deal with. But when you talk to her and when you hear her and, and on, on those anniversaries of like her mom's death and on the, her wedding day, like if you follow her and you listen to her, her words are, yes, I am sad. And yes, I miss my mom, but I glorify Jesus. And, and it's just this amazing lifelong testimony. And that speaks volumes, I am positive, to thousands of people. Because their, their, their family was very well known in Homa and very well loved. And so can you imagine the ripple of hope that they have given over time? Like through every one of those tragedies, imagine how much hope they have given to those around them. And you have that same power. That same exact power lies in every single one of you. With every negative thing that happens, with every tragedy, with every trial, it lies in all of us. So we have to come together and think exactly how are you going to handle the next situation? How are you going to handle the next tragedy? How are people going to look at you? Are they going to look at us and are they going to hear and see Jesus in that? Or are they going to wonder where Jesus is in it? So remember, put on those big girl pants, those big boy pants, 
And remember, constantly tell yourself, there's hope through these ashes. There's hope through these ashes. There's hope through these ashes. Write it. Seal it on the tablet of your heart. But make sure that your whole life, you know it. All right, let's bow our heads, guys. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We give you glory and we give you honor, almighty God. We thank you that you are gracious and that you are loving. We thank you that you have given us a hope that glorifies you. We thank you that in everything that we endure, everything we go through, we give you so much glory and honor that you always deliver us with your peace, your strength, your grace, your mercy. And God, I know that here tonight, there are people who are going through trials. They're going through hardships. God, I know that there are lives that are hurting because we do live in a fallen world. So many kids here have gone through things that adults should not have to go through. We have teens that are hurting. God, we want to come before you tonight. We want to say, Lord, whether it gets resolved or whether it's one of these difficult things that stays unresolved, we want our hope to be in your hands. We want you to hold them and to love them. We want you to build them up, cherish them. God, we pray that you bring them into the cleft of your rock where they only see you and where they only feel you, where they never feel alone. We pray, Almighty God, that their whole hearts are given to you that they commit everything that they are and everything that they have to you and that they surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and in that the Holy Spirit indwells in them and that the Holy Spirit will deliver with that peace. God, we come before you and we thank you for that. And we know that there is hope in these ashes, Almighty God. We know that at the end, Lord God, in time, you will use us to glorify you through our our trials, our difficulties. Guys, why don't we, um, I'm going to pray for you. And then when I finish praying for you, why don't we just, I'm sure they'll figure it out, play something or whatever, however they do it. Let me pray for you. And then if you need I'm going to pray over you, not for you. I'm going to pray over you. If you need prayer, I want you to come to the front. And I want you to surrender that to Christ. And I want you to to allow him to hold you and to speak to you. If you need to give your heart and your life to Christ, come find me or somebody else in this room. We can pray with you and we can walk you through that. 
But if you need that time alone with him where you need to cry out to him, where he can be the one to start to heal and restore and to give you and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, we're going to give you that time after. So let's bow our heads. Father God, we do thank you. And I pray over each and every person in this room. God, we pray that you, almighty God, that you are their rock, you're their strength. God, we pray that you and you alone are the only one that they ever derive value and worth from. And that in that they know they are never alone. They're never forsaken. And we give you glory for that. God, I pray over each and every person in this room. I pray that you deliver peace to them. God, I pray that this word, this hope from ashes, I pray that that thought never leaves them. I pray that you give each and every person in here a mature mind that when they go through the smallest to the biggest of details in their life, that they always remember, Almighty God, that you are the one they run to. You are the one that they hide in and that you deliver hope, that you have given us the hope of the world in Jesus Christ. God, we glorify you and we give you thanks and honor for that, Father God. And we pray over this group, Lord God, if there is anyone who is not surrendered to the, the love of Jesus Christ, we pray that that happens tonight, Almighty God. We pray if there's a person in here who has not felt the love and the peace of God the Creator through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that as they seek and as they continue to seek, that they feel that love, that overwhelming peace, Almighty God. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we give you all this. Amen. So guys, if, if you want to go out, go ahead and go out. And if you want to stay and take a little bit of time to pray um, and just to seek him, we definitely want to give you that time.